Okay, are we on? <clears throat> Very good. Good to see you again. Thank you for, for staying. What we've talked about so far is the Bible claims to be inspired many, many times. And that the 66 books that we have in our Bibles are the right books. There's overwhelming evidence that we have the right books. There are no lost books. There are no missing books. There are uh, no books that got in that shouldn't have gotten in or vice versa. But we have a problem. <clears throat> we don't have any of those books. All we have are copies of those books. And so now we need to move on to the next challenge of biblical origins, and that's what's known as the transmission of the Bible text. There are so many publications, and I mentioned some of those last night, like this Life magazine that's asking the question, uh, who is God? And then you go on the inside and it uh, talks about the face of God. Uh, what does God look like? Well, Jesus said in John 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life. That they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice that he said, this is eternal life, that they know God, that they know Jesus. And so, who is God? That is a question that we need to know the answer to. And without going to Scripture, how are we going to answer that question? We know God because the Bible is a revelation of God. And then I made reference to this U.S. News and World Report magazine, Who Wrote the Bible? But notice the subtitle, The Surprising New Theories. I guess there was something wrong with the old theories. Uh, now we got to come up with uh, something new as far as who wrote the Bible. And if you were going to guess, which direction do you think they went? More conservative or more liberal? On, well, obviously they're going much more liberal the surprising new theories are that none of the men that we think uh, wrote the Bible actually did. Well, this is the kind of stuff that is out there and, you know, you're sitting there and you're waiting for your doctor's appointment and you see this in the magazine rack and so you read that and, well, this is the kind of stuff that Satan has been very, very successful uh, at getting out. Okay, so now we want to talk about this idea of the transmission of the Bible text. How do we know that what we received is accurate to the originals or the autographs? Since we do not have any of the originals, how do we know? Have you ever played the game, uh, it's called different names, but Gossip? You know the game Gossip? All right, so if you've played this game, you know that a message is whispered in the ear of a first, per, the first person, and then they whisper that message in the ear of the second and third and fourth on down the line, right? And then the last person announces to the group what the message is. And it's always dead on right. <laughs> no, that's what's so funny about the game is in a matter of 10, 15 people and just a few minutes, the message has been really messed up. And you wonder, how on earth did it get so messed up? Well, this is what Bible critics are saying has happened to the Bible. 
since they didn't have copy machines, you had to trust people that were going to copy things down by hand. And they're not throwing these guys under the bus. They're saying they did the best they could. But they would mess up. They would delete stuff that they didn't mean to delete, but they just did. And or maybe they added some stuff like they, they thought they were uh, on this line when actually they already had written that line. And so they write that line uh, again. And then there'll be some that will say, and every once in a while they get excited about what they're copying and they'll write in some of their own thoughts and that then becomes a part of the manuscript that's copied uh, by the next generation and so on. And all this does is it gets us to, and here is the catchphrase, that the Bible has been hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and recopying. Hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and recopying. So now that we understand the problem and the challenge, what can we say, what evidence is out there about this? All right, here are the languages of the Bible. There, the Bible was written in three languages, two of which are Old Testament, one of which is New. The first one is Hebrew. It reads... Uh, from right to left, so that would say, Shema Israel Adonai Elchenu Adonai Echad. So, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. That's very beautiful language, Hebrew. This is Aramaic, Ezra 6.14. Uh, it would read, and I don't do Aramaic very well, but, Vashavi uh, Yehudi Banin La Mitzlachim. Uh, which means, and the, the Jewish leaders rose and they accomplished building. Then the New Testament is written in Greek. That's this right here. Hutoskar agapasen hotheos ton cosmo. God so loved the world. Right? Those are the languages that God chose to communicate His word in. And so those are the languages that are of most interest to us when we're studying the Bible. So the manuscripts that we have that were written in these languages are always going to be a little bit more important. All right, the Bible was first written and copied by hand. Um, this is what is known as a writer's inkhorn. You can see the pen and uh, the little jar to mix the ink in or the dip the pen in. Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 2 is probably referring to something uh, almost like this or exactly like <clears throat> this. Uh, with um, uh, the utensils that someone would uh, use to write. The Bible was first written and copied by scribes. All right, so you had these men that they were called scribes and that they were professionals. They were trained to do their copying. And here is a picture of someone that's got his uh, paper on his lap and his head is up which probably indicates that he is in what is known as a scriptorium. A scriptorium is where you've got somebody that is reading a document and then you have all of the scribes who are writing <clears throat> that document down. And so you can just imagine that if that's what we were doing and someone was up here and reading to us and we're all writing, that by the end of the, however long the book is, we would have as many copies produced in the amount of time it took us to read 
and have that written down. It was a, a fairly efficient way <clears throat> of producing mass copies, although <clears throat> the reader had to be a good reader, the scribe had to be a good listener, and he also had, and this would have been the deal breaker for me, good penmanship. That would have been... A <clears throat> so scriptoriums were used to produce more copies. This is actually a wall relief of... Uh, scribes in a scriptorium, and if you look at this, it looks like they've got arrows going through their head, but those are extra, actually extra pens. Uh, <clears throat> you didn't have as time to uh, go get another pen. Stop, stop, i got to go get a, another pen. <clears throat> you always had your, uh, your spares right there with you. This is a terrible picture, but it's the only one I could find. Uh, <clears throat> But it's of a scriptorium, and you can see the tables that were there, and then they had a little uh, place to put your feet so you could adjust your body position because you are going to be uh, standing for a long period of time. But the main reason <clears throat> why I include this picture is because of that dark archway in the top left. Something was discovered back there that I want to talk about later. The Bible was mainly produced... Uh, by what's known as uh, parchment or papyrus. That was the paper <clears throat> that was used. Um, parchment is leather made of animal skins. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to uh, bring with him especially the parchments, he says. This is the Greek word membrana. Bring especially the membrana. We get the word membrane from that word. Animal skins is what he's talking about. It was written in columns, written in rows, and then another piece was sewn to that. As a matter of fact, if you look carefully, you can see that it was sewn together so they would fill up a page and then they would sew in another page if they needed it, but they were not going to waste paper. They were only going to sew on a new sheet when it was needed. <clears throat> The Bible was also written on papyrus. Here is an example of uh, a papyrus fragment. This is uh, perhaps the most famous of all the Bible uh, fragments. This is known as the John Ryland's fragment, or P62, P52. Um, it's from a section of John chapter 18. This particular uh, fragment <clears throat> is said to date about 100 A.D. Well, John wrote his gospel about 90 uh, A.D., so this is considered by some maybe to be a second-generation uh, copy of John's gospel. Well, we don't know whether that's true or not, but it is one that dates very closely to the time when John wrote his gospel. <clears throat> Scribes were those, as I mentioned, that were professionals, but in the later years, just good people, Christian people that loved the Bible were those that would uh, copy the scriptures. It eventually became uh, where texts were done by professionals in isolated places, monks that were trained. For example, in medieval times, monks in isolated places would keep the text alive. For example, on the left side, you've got the monastery of St. Catherine at the foot of Mount Sinai. In 1890, Constantine went there and found one of our great manuscripts, what's known as the Sinaiticus, uh, was found in the Monastery of St. Catherine. On the right <clears throat> is the Monastery of the Lorraine on Mount Athos. 
A lot of Bible manuscripts were found there, including the Gospel of Mark, uh, with the long ending that dated around the 8th century A.D. Anyway, what we know about scribes is very interesting. Careful instruction went into scribes. We've got uh, <clears throat> documents that talk about how the teachers would lean over the shoulders of the scribes, and if they would write something down, they would have their pencil and slap their hand, and, and that was one way they teach them to be very careful about accurately preserving what it is that they're copying. <clears throat> the text of the Old Testament is based largely on manuscript, man, Masoretic manuscripts like this one. This is uh, the British Museum Codex, uh, opened at Exodus 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are found. So this is mainly what our Old Testaments are based on, manuscripts like this that were done uh, by these Masoretic scribes. Well, let's talk a little bit about them. Uh, sometimes they're called so, uh, so fair, that's singular. So farim is plural. And it's a word that uh, <clears throat> has to do with a counter. And I'll explain that in a minute. So who were these uh, scribes, the Masoretes? They were a group of scribes active from the 6th to the 11th centuries A.D. Were guided by the Masora, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And their copying of the Hebrew text. They invented a vowel point system and were the producers of many of the manuscripts which we possess today. Now, if you looked at the Hebrew that I had up there a minute ago, it's got all these dots and lines underneath the letters. The Masoretes are the ones that invented that. Prior to that, all Hebrew writing was done without that vowel point uh, system. And so that is why some of the Hebrew words that we have, we're really not sure how they would be pronounced. For example, the name of God. Is it Yahweh? We've made it Jehovah. But we really don't know because there were no vowel pointings underneath the four letters in the Hebrew Bible. But anyway, these are the guys, in order to uh, teach the Hebrew language to their children, did you know that the Hebrew language is the only major language in the world that was dead for several hundred years? When the Jews destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, they were basically, the, the Sadducees and the priests that worked there were basically the only ones that knew Hebrew. And so when the temple was destroyed, Hebrew basically died as a language and stayed dead until the Masoretes brought it back to life again in the 6th century. All right, so the sofer, the counter. These scribes were called sofarim due to their constant counting of words, phrases, and letters to ensure the accuracy of the Hebrew text. Imagine that's your job, to go through these books and count letters, words, phrases. They served, though, as guardians of the textual tradition. You might say, well, I, I know there are some famous Bible characters that were scribes. Well, Ezra was a scribe, the Bible tells us, in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. All right, so what is this Masora? This was the name given to the sacred tribal tradition. It's a catalog of statistics regarding the number of occurrences of words, letters, phrases in the divine copying to ensure the accuracy in copying. 
All right, I'm going through this pretty quick because it's a whole lot easier to show you what we're talking about than to just words on a page. All right, so here is a Masoretic manuscript, and you can tell from the illustration that it's uh, from the book of Jonah. But if you got real close and looked at the body of Jonah and the fish, it would be a bunch of words and numbers. Well, what's up with that? It is the catalog of statistics. It is the Masora for the book of Jonah. Do you know how many words occur in the book of Jonah? They did. Do you know what the exact middle word was? They did. How many words occur like the name of God or the name of Jonah and these other words? They had this long catalog of statistics. So you'd have a scribe. He's got the original document that he's working on. And then he's got the document that he's writing. And so he's writing this down. And then when he's done, he brings his manuscript to the Sopharim. And the Sopharim have with them their Masora, the catalog statistics. They look up the book of Jonah and then they start counting. They start counting to make sure that this brand new copy of the book of Jonah is done exactly right. This strange looking bird is a catalog statistics from the book of Ruth. How many words are in the book of Ruth? What's the middle word? How many times does this word and that word occur? This vine is also an example of a catalog of statistics. So this is uh, how these books were done. So what are some of the manus Masoretic manuscripts that we have today? The British Museum Codex, the Codex Cariensis, the Leningrad Manuscript B, the Aleppo Codex, the Reichland Codex, uh, all of those things are what we have. You look at the bottom one, the Cairo Geniza fragments. 24,000 fragments of the Hebrew Bible. All right, so that was that dark archway. And a man by the name of Solomon Schechter was allowed to go into a monastery that was about to be destroyed. That was the only reason they would let an outsider in. And he sees that dark archway. He's taken the picture of the scriptorium, sees that dark archway, and says, what's back there? And the people that were given him the tour said, well, that's just our trash room. You would not have any interest in going back there. He goes, would it be okay, though, if I did anyway? I said, you want to see our trash room? He said, Yeah. He goes back there and he discovers 24,000 Bible manuscripts. Are you kidding me? That was their trash room. Why were these 24,000 Bible manuscripts in a trash room? Because the Sopharim found mistakes. Maybe a mistake. Into the trash room it goes. They were not going to allow one manuscript that had a mistake to go out into the general population. It went into their trash room, and that's what they used to burn their fires, to keep themselves warm during the winter months, to cook their food. Wow. 24,000 of those. That really shows us how committed they were 
uh, to accuracy of the Bible. But look at those dates. The British Museum Codex, 850. The Cairo uh, Cariansis, 916. Uh, 1010 for the Leningrad. Aleppo Codex is 930. The Reichlin is 1105. Though that's, the Old Testament closed about 400 B.C., right? So now we're talking about manuscripts that are 1,000 years later, 1,100 years later, 1,200 years later, and that's where these Bible critics say, that's our point right there. That's what we're trying to say. You've got these books copied over 1,000 years of time how many times has it been copied and recopied and recopied and recopied? And so what the Masoretic scribes were doing, are they're, they're copying copies of copies of copies. And it's been, here's our phrase, hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and recopying. So you can't trust those manuscripts. And then, in 1947, a boy that thought one of his goats had ran into a cave threw the rock to scare out the goat and instead heard a loud crash. He went into the cave to see what it is that his rock had shattered and it had shattered a large clay pot that was full of scrolls. He went and told his uncle. His uncle came and they started looking around, and the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. What was discovered? A library of a Jewish monastic community found in 11 caves. Recently, they found a 12th cave, but it only had a few very small fragments, and so the bulk of what we're talking about is in the original 11 caves. What were found in these caves? Manuscripts that date between, get this, 250 B.C., and 68 A.D. Wow, are you kidding me? Bible manuscripts. So there's an example of a clay pot and some of the fragments that they found. 230, while 230 biblical manuscripts found among other library materials. A total of 900 manuscripts were found total. Predated the Masoretic Manuscript by 1,000 years. Now we're making a leap back 1,000 years thanks to this one unbelievable discovery. They were very, some of them were very uh, fragile, difficult to preserve. As a matter of fact, if you believe in the providence of God, you might say that's why it wasn't discovered until 1947 because infrared technology had been discovered and believe it or not, with those black charred areas, they were able to read what those things said because of infrared technology. It's pretty cool. So if you ever go to the Museum on the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're going to have things like this where you've got a fragment uh, and then it'll say something really weird like 4QP nay. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's the fourth cave at Qumran. It's in Paleo-Hebrew script. Paleo-Hebrew script is the, what the scholars are always excited to find because that's the oldest 
way of writing Hebrew. By the time you get to the days of Jesus and after, they started writing Hebrew differently. And so we can date manuscripts based on the way the Hebrew was written. We do that with English, right? If you look at something that was written in 17th century, you know, the F's were done a certain way, and so we can date stuff that way as well. And then this is the book of Nahum. All right, so there was lots of library material that was found. I mentioned 900 total uh, that was found, but this was the most exciting discovery of all, the book of Isaiah. All 66 chapters found in one beautifully preserved scroll. So you can imagine what was done. The book of Isaiah, the scroll that was found that was dated about 250 B.C., Paleo-Hebrew script, was unrolled, and then word by word the scholars compared it to their previously oldest copy of the book of Isaiah, which dated about 850 B.C. So now we're going back 1,100 years. The scholars were falling all over themselves making predictions. That scroll, which is 1,100 years older than our oldest Hebrew text of the Old Testament, is going to be 50% different. 60% different. There were even some that said it's going to be 90 or 95% different. It's going to be unrecognizable to the modern text of Hebrew or to the Masoretic text of Hebrew. And so scholars like Gleese and Archer went word by word and compared. And guess what? 95% the same. 95% the same. And you know what the 5% difference was? Variations in spelling. Are you kidding me? Like, you know the word honor? The old way of spelling honor was with a U. Savior was written with a U. Well, we dropped the U out. Stuff like that. 95% the same. Now all of these scholars that were falling all over themselves to say 50% different, 90% different, were looking like complete fools. And well, they should. Because now we had scientific proof, for the very first time, really, we had scientific proof that the Bible was not hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and recopying. As a matter of fact, to everyone's surprise, Even those that were conservative never thought it was going to be this close. Never in their wildest dreams would have thought 95% the same. That's amazing. But when we step back and we just think about who is it that would copy the Bible? People that hated it? People that wanted to destroy it? Of course not. The people that copied the Bible are those that loved it, that believed it was from God. That's the way you see the Bible. And so were you going to be real careless in your copying? If you thought it was the very word of God, you're going to be as careful as you know to be, as, uh, as cautious as you can, can be, because you believe it's God's word. Well, now we had evidence, proof, that the Bible was not hopelessly corrupted. 
When we think about what was discovered, K4 is the champion of the 11 Ks that were found. MSS is manuscripts. MS is just the singular manuscript. Look at all that was found just in this one cave all by itself. It was an amazing hall of manuscripts uh, that were found. And all of these Bible books, one by one, unrolled and compared to our oldest Hebrew copy of that particular book. And you know what? We found the same thing. We found the same thing with those 11 manuscripts of Genesis. The same thing with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 18 manuscripts of Deuteronomy. Wow. 17 copies of Psalms. Wow. So all that did, all that did was it proved that the Bible was, in fact, accurately copied. That 1,000 years of time had passed, but it, it was, in fact, accurately copied. Oh, there's so much more that we could talk about. You say, well, is, is Qumran all you got? Well, that's pretty good if that's all you got. But it's not all we got. We got a lot of other evidences. We got the Septuagint that bears witness to the text of the Old Testament. That's the Greek translation into the New Testament or into the into the Old Testament the Greek from Hebrew to Greek Old Testament we have the Aramaic Targums we've got the Latin Vulgate the Syriac translations there are lots of witnesses to the text of the Old Testament gives us the confidence that we have that our Bibles were in fact accurately copied so what about the New Testament what can we say about the 27 books of the New Testament. Well, as we learned in part one, God spoke to us by His Son, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Uh, we read about that in John 15 and John 16. And part of the gift of prophecies uh, to others, uh, those others that the apostles did are called prophets. So those are the men that wrote the New Testament. There is significant evidence to support the modern Greek New Testament. So I've got my Greek New Testament with me. Done by United Bible Society. This is called an eclectic text uh, where various uh, manuscripts that were found are, are used to make up this Greek text. All right, so what confidence do we have, though, because the New Testament writers wrote in Greek, and this is in Greek, what confidence do we have that this is really what Matthew wrote or what Paul wrote? Well, here's the evidence. First of all, we have what's called papyrus unsealed. Papyrus is that which is made of plant. It was a paper uh, that was done where these sheets were laid opposite each other um, and it made a very nice flat surface. A lot of uh, the Bible books were written on this type of material. Unseal is just a block letter. Uh, that was uh, the way they wrote in the first century. And then you have parchment unseals. Parchment is animal skin, so there's a number of that. We mentioned that Paul makes reference to that in 2 Timothy. Minuscule or something that's much later. This is like our longhand or cursive type of writing. Lectionaries. The early church only had their Bible. 
they did not have and everybody else did not have your personal copy of the Bible. And so if you were one of the men that was asked to read Scripture in the Sunday worship service, you were uh, asked to come to the church building, look up your section that you're going to read, and make a copy of the section that you're going to read so you can take it home and practice it. Not a bad idea. And then when the service was over, you would give that piece of paper back to the church and they would collect these. They're called lectionaries. And we've got hundreds of them. So as of 2001, over 5,600 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament have been cataloged. And these date from the beginning of the 2nd century to the 9th uh, century. Kind of an update on this. We're now about 5,880-something uh, as of about 2013. So we're continuing to, to boost that particular number. Or think about the significance of this. Let's say that uh, we go outside for the lunch hour and uh, a hot air, a bright red hot air balloon floats over the, the church building. Well, a couple hours later, a, a reporter comes and says, did you see the hot air balloon? Yeah. What color was it? Red, 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 blue, red, 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 green, red, 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 blue, red, 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 green. What is the reporter going to assume was the color of the balloon? Red. Why? Because of the sheer number of witnesses. Yeah, there were some people that saw a different color, but the number of witnesses testified to it being red. Now, one of the questions that was submitted, I'll go ahead and answer now, and that is, how do we know that we have a correct reading? It's the sheer number of witnesses. These manuscripts that we're talking about, nearly 5,700, 5,700 Greek manuscripts are bearing witness to the text of the New Testament right here. That's why we can have confidence in the text because of the sheer number of witnesses that we have. So we've got stuff like this John Ryland's fragment. Not a whole lot of text, but enough text that we can take a look at the text in John 18. We've got unseals like the Chester Beatty Papyrus, the Nominus Sacred Contraction, the Bodmer Papyrus. These are all manuscripts that we've looked at. You can see the color uh, changes on this because it's animal skin, uh, parchment, unseals, like the Vaticanus, like the Sinaiticus. Codex Laudianus in the 6th or 7th century is our earliest manuscript to have the Eunice Confession. As a matter of fact, if you look real carefully, can you, does it look kind of shadowy right there? That's because this is what's called a palimpsest. A palimpsest was where you had a manuscript and they kind of ran out of paper and so they would scrape the ink off and then they would write on top of that. Well, 
archaeologists loved it when they discovered these manuscripts because it was two for the price of one. Because thanks to technology, we could read what it used to say and now what it now says. And so uh, they loved these manuscripts, these palimpsests as they're called. And now if you look at the writing, it, you can see it just looks different. This is more longhand. This started 9th century and later. Sometimes it had some weird art that would accompany these manuscripts. Reference systems would come along a little bit later uh, with these. Now, a lot of other evidence said, Denny, we got 5,700 Greek manuscripts. Isn't that pretty sufficient evidence to the text of the New Testament? It should be, but that's not all that we've got. We've got many Latin manuscripts. We've got Syriac manuscripts, Coptic manuscripts, Gothic, Ethiopian, Armenian translations. We have so many witnesses to the text of the New Testament. It is just amazing. So, what do we have? We have the papyrus, the Greek manuscripts. We have the unseals. We have the minuscules. We've got lectionaries. We've got the various versions. As a matter of fact, we've also got patristic quotations. Did you know that the quotations from the fathers, the patristic quotations, are so thorough that we could reproduce all of the New Testament just from their quotations with the exception of 11 verses? 11 verses. So if all we had were the quotations from what's called the church fathers or the early Christian writers, we could reproduce the New Testament for except for 11 verses. Now, if you're ever on a game show and you win like a million dollars because you knew that, let me give you my card. You'll have my address. <laughs> but that's interesting little trivia that we could reproduce almost the entire New Testament just from those quotations. All right, I mentioned Solomon Skechter, and this is a picture of him in that uh, trash room in the monastery in, in uh, Cairo. But if he looks like he's got Excedrin headache number 250, it's probably because he does. We have, <coughs> archaeologists have, discovered a lot of manuscripts. And those manuscripts a lot of times remain in storage until somebody is able to come along and to read them. So there's stuff out there that we still don't know uh, what's in there. But that's the way it works right now. We need more people that can read uh, these fragments and these, uh, these manuscripts. Then there's some other stuff that's happening that is very interesting, very exciting. Here's a book called Eyewitness to Jesus. And it's actually talking about three very small fragments, which are pictured right there. Fragments that are from a codex that was written on both sides from the text of Matthew. And when these, they're called the Magdalene fragments. When the Magdalene fragments were discovered, uh, some dating scholars looked at them and they said, 
probably date about 385 to 400 BC, a, AD. Well, that's pretty cool, but that's not going to get scholarship all that excited because they're so small, and frankly, they've got uh, 5,000 of these. But the guys that discovered them, and then some other scholars, are ones that said, oh, wait just a minute, though. The way that things are dated is done a number of different ways. One is the style of writing. We already talked about that. That the penmanship, the way letters were written, uh, changes over time, and we can date things by that. The materials that are used... Technology would improve and different types of, of uh, things would be used. And so you can date something by the materials used. The spelling of words is something that would change. I used as an example the word honor and the word savior in English. Well, uh, Greek was the same way. Uh, words would change the way uh, that they were spelled. And then the abbreviation of divine names. Did you know that our earliest, our, old, our very oldest Greek manuscripts abbreviated divine names. For example, the, the word for God in Greek is theos. Well, they would just do T-S. Jesus is curio, or E-A-S-U-S, I-S. Um, so they would abbreviate. Well, guess what? These three fragments, these Magdalene fragments, had all of these ancient markers on them. The old spelling, the old paper, the abbreviation of divine names. And so these guys are saying, this is not 385. So they brought in some scholars that were more, I think, objective. And what they came up with blew away the scholarly community so much so that a lot of people just categorically rejected them because their reputations were on the line. But they dated these fragments, so you ready? 65 A.D. I don't know exactly when Matthew wrote his gospel, but it couldn't be very far from that. And so now someone is saying, is it possible? Is it conceivable that what we're looking at was actually the autograph, the original that was written by Matthew. Well, how cool would that be? No way that we'll know for sure. But just like with you study the theory of evolution and you look at how people date things and they date things by different methods and sometimes that's questionable, the whole idea of these dating these Bible manuscripts is really going through a revolution. And I'm so excited that it is because I believe that they have woefully miscalculated uh, the date on some of these fragments where they're throwing them into a third or fourth century time frame when actually they may be much earlier. And we may be saying in our lifetimes that the John Ryland fragment is not the oldest uh, existent fragment of a New Testament book, that there are actually things much earlier than that. Another question I get asked a lot, was there anything uh, from the New Testament found at Qumran? And the answer to that is actually yes. In Cave 7, 
they found a small portion of the Gospel of Mark and they found a portion of 1 Timothy chapter 3 into the first part of chapter 4. Now, we know that these fragments had to date before 68 A.D. And we know that because that is when the Roman army devastated the Qumran community. Now, I didn't say this before, but what the Qumran community did with their 900 fragments or or manuscripts is they hid them in caves because they believed that the Roman soldiers would not go into those caves. And look, well, they were right. The Roman soldiers didn't go into those caves and neither did anybody else for nearly 2,000 years. Imagine that. Those scrolls stayed in those caves for nearly 2,000 years. And no one bothered to look until a boy throws a rock. Parents, stop criticizing your boys when they throw rocks. They may discover the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, anyway, 68 was when the community was destroyed. And so those fragments have to date before our the year 68. So that, again, is pretty old stuff. So what about textual variants? If you notice in your Bible, you've got these things that will say some older manuscripts do not include this or some older manuscripts read this way or that way. Those are called textual variants. The scientific process, which is called textual criticism, and one of the questions that was already given asked about this idea of textual criticism, has restored the original reading with remarkable accuracy. All right, we've got almost 5,700 Greek manuscripts. We've got all these other witnesses. And so now they believe that this Greek New Testament is remarkably accurate because of all of these witnesses. Well, how accurate? How about that? 99.5% pure. That's what they believe about this Greek text that we have today. 99.5% accurate. And the 0.5% is of a trivial nature, doesn't expect our under, uh, affect our understanding. No major doctrines, for example, are based upon any of these textual variants. And so it's an amazing, the witnesses that we have to the New Testament. But... We still hear, and my teacher still said, it's been hopelessly corrupted. So people are still buying this. And they're still promoting this same false narrative about the Bible being hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and recopying. But look at this. An author or work, date of original, manuscripts available, earliest manuscript. Thucydides wrote about 460 to 400 B.C. We have eight manuscripts available the oldest of which is 900 A.D. All right, so we're looking at a span of about 1,500 years. So, has the writings of Thucydides been hopelessly corrupted? No, no, that's, it's accurate. Herodotus, 400 B.C., a few scarce fragments. Date, the oldest uh, that we have is 950 A.D. Again, we're looking at uh, 1,400 years, 1,300 years. Hopelessly corrupted through centuries of copying and re- no, no, it's we think we've got what Herodotus, uh, Herodotus wrote. 
Julius Caesar and the history of the Gaelic Wars, 58 to 50 B.C. We've got five manuscripts that date 1100 A.D. Guess what scholars have said? Hopelessly corrupted? No. No, it's, it's accurate. Aristotle, 343 B.C. We've got five manuscripts of what he wrote, the oldest of which is 1100 A.D. Scholars say, sure is nice to have the writings of Aristotle. It's accurate. And then we get to the New Testament. The date of the original, 50 to 95 uh, A.D., we've got 20,000 plus manuscripts, counting the Greek manuscripts, the Latin, the uh, date, the earliest is 100 A.D., hopelessly corrupted. Come on. Somebody is not being honest. And... We're not totally surprised by that, are we? But the evidence of the Bible that it has been accurately copied is overwhelming. And there we have every reason to believe that it's accurate and it's based upon scientific evidence. So God has marvelously preserved His Word through the centuries even as Peter would say, all flesh is grass and the glory thereof is the flower of grass. And grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And that's because of the work that God has done. So, we've covered some pretty cool things, but we still have a problem. We know we got the right books, the right 66 books. And we know now that they were, in fact, accurately copied through the centuries and they're true to the original writers, Moses to Paul. But how many here can read Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek? We are at the mercy of those translators who translated these uh, original language books into modern English. Do they do a good job? Are they trustworthy? Well, you're going to kind of have to come back after lunch to find, find that out. So thank you so much for coming. And uh, we're going to take a break until 2 o'clock. So we are dismissed. Thank you.